Over the past week, I guess as we've all been thinking about Easter and uh, building up to this moment when we come together and celebrate, uh, if you've been listening to the radio, uh, any radio station at all, this is the time where they become heavily involved with their religious broadcasting. So whether it's Downtown Radio or Radio Ulster or whatever other stations, U105, at every stage during the day they've been playing, as they would call it, religious music along with music music. that help people engage with, with what was happening through the week in a chronological timeline. And there's normally been a thought for the day or a meditation presented with that. And the one song that comes up time and time again is the Frederick E. Weatherly, The Holy City. I don't know if you're familiar with it, but it's been coming up. Um, Harry Seacom, I guess, was the most famous one to, to sing it. And what this song does, it was marketed to the Victorian uh, religious age. Um, It was more of sentiment rather than any deep theological meaning. But what it does in the first two verses is it starts where we were last Sunday morning, Palm Sunday. Jerusalem, jubilant crowds celebrating, Hosanna, Hosanna. And then it moves into its second verse. And then methought my dream was changed, the streets no longer rang. Hushed were the glad hosannas the little children sang. The sun grew dark with mystery. The morn was cold and chill as the shadow of a cross arose upon a lonely hill. And this is where we were on Friday evening. Jesus dead and buried in a tomb. He had endured the pain and the suffering for us. He was now separated from God as he took on himself the sin of the world, my sin and your sin. And that's how it had to be. Paul speaks in Hebrews 10 and verse 10 that this was the one-time sacrifice that was going to be from that point on right to Christ would come again. And so we left him dead and buried in a tomb, the freshly cut tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. But it's Sunday morning. It's early on the first day of the week. And while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene goes to the tomb. The other Gospels tell us that there were other women with her. And certainly later on in the passage that we've read, she suggests that we cannot find our Lord. I should say, this is a very hard passage not to give anything away in the whole build-up to everything. I think we know what's coming But there she is with whoever she's with. And they come to the tomb. Somewhere between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. on the morning. They come. They come to do what custom demands them to do. What is part of their sacrificial, spiritual and religious duty. They come to mourn. There was to be three days of mourning. And this wasn't just little tears huddled around a tomb. This was wailing and howling. And the belief was that the spirit still was with the person for these three days. That is why they were there, to to usher the spirit on into the eternity. And so they go and they mourn. And when they get there, she saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. The implications are immense. What's going on? What is she thinking is happening? Had someone broken into the tomb? Grave robbers were known in those times. Had Joseph of Arimathea decided that this wasn't going to be the tomb for Jesus, that he was moved somewhere else? Where were the soldiers? 
had the authorities removed the body. And the first thing she does is runs, and she runs, and she comes to Simon Peter and the disciple whom Jesus loved, who is widely believed to be John. And she tells them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple, they start running. They run, and they run, and the disciple whom Jesus loved outruns Peter. And when he gets there, he stops, and he looks into the tomb. But Peter quickly comes and brushes past him and goes into the tomb. Peter, too, sees the strips of linen lying there, as well as the burial cloth that had been around Jesus' head. And John helps us with a little bit of the detail here by saying that this cloth was folded up by itself, separate from the linen. What John seems to have seen is the clothes that were wrapped around Jesus' body. They're there. It's as if his body has come up from them. They are perfectly in place, perfectly positioned. They appear undisturbed. John Stott uses a vivid image to suggest that what they saw was like a discarded chrysalis from which the butterfly has emerged. So Peter is in the tomb with the disciple whom Jesus loved standing outside. But eventually, finally, the passage tells us he goes into the tomb and we are told that he saw and believed. I don't know if you've been looking through the passage, you've noticed the three instances where Peter and the disciple whom Jesus loved look or they see. Three instances and three very different words, each one building up to the final, which is interpreted, he saw and believed. So the first word is blepo in verse 5, as the other disciple looked into the tomb. This word simply means to look and to see. Look at the facts. We do it all the time. You're doing it right now. You're looking and you're seeing. Blepo. But then in verse 6, Peter brushes past him and goes into the tomb. And we are told that Peter saw the strips of linen. And the Greek word here is theorio, which is a little bit more. It's where we take our English word theater. So it's to take a long and careful look. So not just the casual look to see, but this time taking it all in and digesting it as to what is going on. And then in verse 8, the other disciple finally goes into the tomb and he sees and believes. The word used is oreo, which means to see with understanding. This was no mere look or glance. This was to actually see and to understand everything that had happened. Now John does help us in verse 9 by saying they didn't fully understand why Christ had to, to rise from the grave. That, that came later. But at this moment there was an understanding that Jesus was alive just as he had said he was. The tomb is empty. No one had taken the body. Christ has risen. The resurrection proves that he is Lord of creation and Lord of all. He descended into hell, as the Apostles' Creed puts it, to satisfy the wrath of God so that we would not have to face the punishment. But the Creed continues that on the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father and he will come to judge the living and the dead. 
the tomb is empty. It's empty to give us evidence that Christ has done it all for us. He has obeyed the will of the Father so that we wouldn't have to be separated from God, but instead we could have a relationship with him. If I told you this was the wonderful, happy, exciting news of Easter, would you be uh, in agreement with you or with me? Because I have to say, looking down right now, it doesn't look like it. And I don't say that to offend you. This is the greatest news of all. The tomb is empty. He has taken everything. He has bore the human physical pain and the spiritual separation from God so that you, so that I can live. And we can be here this morning to celebrate 2,000 years later, even though Nero tried to put the Christians down and wipe them out, no one, no one, no one has ever been able to stop this momentum of the church growing and living. Jesus was in a stone-cold tomb. No longer. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and from there he calls us today. He's not on a position on a cross. He's not in that tomb. He is with the Father. And he calls me, and he calls you to follow him. Very simple, two little words. He used them himself as he called people. He said to Levi or Matthew, follow me. And what did he do? Immediately, he got up, left everything and followed him. Jesus is calling on this resurrection day. He is calling us to know him and to follow him. So I ask you today, celebrate. Celebrate the fact that Jesus has conquered death once and for all so that we would not have to go to the grave, but rather we can come to him. And he is willing to take the sacrifice, my sacrifice, your sacrifice, what should have been paid, and he's willing to take it so that we can have freedom and a hope and salvation. So that on that day, when he comes again, we can enter into the eternal realms, into heaven, to join as princes and princesses in giving praise and glory to God. My Savior and my God lives. What about you? Can you say that with confidence this morning? Are you living it this morning? We have to move on, and this story is already feeling to me a little bit like what my Wednesday nights are like. Some of you may know that I'm learning to swim at the moment, uh, so I'm given a good picture of myself. A few weeks ago, I was out running, and uh, now I'm swimming, so it's looking good. But you know, there's three of us in the class, and we all start off the same, and I'm always the one left behind. I was hoping for an awe and rather the laughter, but anyway... But we're forgetting someone. The one who started at this story. Mary Magdalene, where is she now? Peter and the disciple whom Jesus loved have run on. And they're satisfied. And the passage tells us that they turn and they go home. But Mary Magdalene has caught up. And so here she is. 
at the tomb and she is weeping. Her Lord is no longer there and she does not know what to do. She's distraught. She eventually goes into the tomb and there she sees two angels in white sitting where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. And the angels ask her, why are you crying? And Mary says that someone has taken her Lord and she does not know where they have put him. And notice how she describes Jesus, her Lord. She doesn't say the body. There is still a strong attachment to this man who changed her life. He has been her master and her teacher. And she wants to know where her Lord is. Now whether the angels motion for Mary to turn around or the presence of someone behind her causes her to turn, she turns around and she sees a figure. And this figure asks the same question, why are you crying? But continues with the second question, who are you looking for? And she turns around and she, in an accusing voice, says, what have you done with him? Tell me where you have put him so that I can go and get his body. She thinks it's the gardener, the one whose job it was to look after and tend this cemetery. What have you done with him? Where have you put him? And all it takes is one word for Mary's eyes to be opened. The man at first whom she did not recognize as soon as the word Mary was uttered, she recognized that it was her Lord. And she cries out, Rabboni. Rabboni literally means my own dear teacher. She is ecstatic as she realizes what is going on. And from verse 17, we get the impression. Jesus says, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet returned to the Father. We get the impression that she embraces Jesus, but he is quick to warn her not to hold on to him because he hasn't as yet gone back to his Father. He will be around. He's going to be around a little bit longer, so don't cling to him, but rather go Go and tell the disciples. Go and tell. See, we've always had this challenge right from the moment of Christ's resurrection to go and to tell what has happened. If you were here on Friday night, Christoph shared with you an, in, an interesting and uh, well spent 20 minutes or so outside the front of the church as we were clambering up a, a table and a ladder to get to the top of the cross to put on the, the cloth there uh, that would be uh, black, or sorry, on Thursday night red for the blood that was shed on Friday. We had five or six teenagers come across the street. Christopher shared what his first thoughts were. Mine were something similar. Oh no, teenagers with a little bit of alcohol in them, uh, smoking a little bit. And certainly at time, the wafts would, would come in our direction. And we thought, here we go. Or I thought, here we go. We're going to be ridiculed. And then I thought, but catch yourself on. They're only teenagers. But still, there's going to be ridicule here. Uh, we're going to have a few words said to us that you certainly don't read in the Bible. And lo and behold, they came over. There's one or two wee comments. 
But as Christoph started asking questions, they accepted his questions. What's all this about? What do you think it means? And you know something? They got almost every answer right. Now, how easy was that? To go and to tell, okay, you can't carry our big cross around with you everywhere that would help engage a conversation. But Jesus says, go and tell. We had just finished a Maundy Thursday meal. We had celebrated communion. We had come away from that meal enjoying what we knew was going to come because it was done for us. And as we hung that red cloth to, uh, to give example of the blood that was shed, teenagers from Ballyhackamore questioned us about salvation and gave us answers about what salvation is. Jesus says, go and tell. It's not easy, or we think it's not easy, because we allow Satan to get in. I want to say to you this morning, don't let Satan tell you that people don't want to hear the gospel because they do. Don't let Satan tell you that how you look in the eyes of others is more important than the message that you have to share. Remember, it is a life-changing message that has changed your life. Don't let Satan tempt you into a place of fear where the gospel is crushed because of his traps. Mary went joyfully to tell the news that she had seen the Lord and that her Lord lives. My Lord lives and he endured the worst of humanity so that I can have the best of my Father and my God. What about you? Are you running and running this morning to tell people about Jesus and the gospel, this gospel that has changed my life, and if you have faith in him, has certainly changed your life as well. Jesus says, go and tell. This third part of this um, resurrection day story is with the disciples. They're in the upper room, we believe, verse 19. The doors are locked, and Jesus come. Or Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. He shows them his hands. He shows them his side. He shows them the, the pain or the, the, the marks of the pain that were on the cross to prove that it is him, that how he was wounded for us. And the response of the disciples as they discovered Jesus, it's a celebration. Here they are. Not knowing what the future will hold. Their hope is gone. Their leader is gone. But now, as they have met him, there is celebration. Because their Lord lives. And this is a special moment. Not just special because Jesus appears to his disciples. But he gives them their model for living. So later in verse 21, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. The purpose Jesus had on this earth is now their purpose. So Jesus coming to save sinners is now their purpose. They are to go and to be as Jesus was. And of course, in 
the time we now know from that moment of Jesus until now and into the future, saving sinners is presenting the gospel to them. Those who have no hope, sharing the wonderful hope in Jesus that sins are forgiven, that there is no more guilt, that there is no more shame because we are accepted by the King of kings and Lord of lords. And Jesus never meant for us to be on our own. Jesus breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Jesus was never going to leave them on their own. He was providing the comforter, the one who will come and help his people. It's Easter Sunday, and that tomb is empty. It's a reason for us to rejoice because my Redeemer lives. The last verse of Weatherly's ballad gives us a glimpse of what is to come. It says, And once again the scene was changed. New earth there seemed to be. I saw the holy city beside the tideless sea. The light of God was on its streets. The gates were open wide. And all who would might enter in. And no one was denied. No need of moon or stars by night or sun to shine by day. It was the new Jerusalem that would not pass away. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, sing for the night is o'er. Hosanna in the highest. Hosanna forevermore. The echoes of the Hosannas last Sunday echo through time and eternity as Christ welcomes us. He welcomes us into his presence. He keeps us in that place with him. We cannot be snatched or taken away. This is ultimately where we are led to. That place where the hosannas ring loud, clear, and long. So Jesus is alive. And he calls us to see and believe. Have eyes. Look and see. Oreo. Seeing and believing. We have to tell others. Jesus tells us to go and tell. And we are to live the gospel just as Jesus did. Folks, I wish you today a happy resurrection day. Rejoice in it. Rejoice in our risen Savior. Let's pray. Father God, if there's one day in the year that you've given us to rejoice and celebrate, it is today. So I pray that in our hearts, you will do your work to engage us, to bring us to yourself, to give us the faith to see and believe that Christ has done it all. And there's no work on our part that can ever earn us that salvation. And Father, help us to go. Help us to go and to tell and to live the gospel each day so that each day will be that celebration day. 
when we account to ourselves the wonders that Christ has done for us. And also, we will take that joy and share it with others. And Father, keep us in that care. Keep us in that love. Keep us in that passion until that day when we will be singing Hosanna on the streets of heaven and giving praise to your name. So we offer ourselves to you this day. Help us in our celebration and accept it. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.